This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week I talk with professional wrestler Bull James. Now, When most people think of pro wrestling, they think about the WWE and huge stars like Hulk Hogan or The Rock or The Undertaker or John Cena. But there's also this whole other world of smaller, independent wrestling promotions, as well as companies like New Japan that have their own devoted fans. Bull, whose real name is James Smith, has been all around the industry. He wrestled for several years with WWE, where he was known as Bull Dempsey, and he does the independent circuit today. He's also the head trainer at New York Wrestling Connection, which, aside from putting on actual events around the New York City area, also runs a wrestling academy out in Deer Park, Long Island. I met Bull at their gym while students were in class. It was hot as hell. We were crammed into a very small office not too far off from the ring where the students were practicing. And um, those slams you're about to hear, those are real aspiring wrestlers getting driven into the mat. I hope you enjoy. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Bull James and I am a professional wrestler. And we are at the New York Wrestling Connection gym here in Long Island where you're a trainer as well. Correct. And how long have you been wrestling for now? 13 years. 13 years. Yep. And how did you get started with that? I was working a menial, terrible high school job at IBM. And uh, my friend Kevin, Kevin Apollo was, was his wrestling name. He doesn't wrestle anymore. But... He, uh, he was having his first match, so he put posters up around the facility, the IBM facility, and I just saw it, and I was like, cool, I'll, I'll go, because I love wrestling, I want to do it, and I saw the show, and I was hooked, and I wanted to sign up right then and there. And how did your parents react? Because you were 17 and working a menial job. Oh, I was 16 at that point. Oh, 16. Yeah, they, uh, they were not pleased, but they said, you know, if you get good grades, this, this report card, you know, we'll we'll let you go and sign up. So I did okay. and was actually you know, a good student for a while. For a while. Yeah. Just so like for the moment you had to be. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Cause everything else I just wanted to, I was just thinking about wrestling anyway. So were you like a super fan at that point or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Who was your favorite guy? Uh, everybody. Okay. I just, yeah. I was just enthralled by the whole thing. 
Did you ever like go to the live events? Oh yeah, a ton. I I only did a, a little bit when I was like I went to WrestleMania ten. That was the big mm-hmm. one that I I got to see Razor Ramon fight Shawn Michaels in the ladder yeah. match, and that was I actually cried during that. When I thought <laughs> when I thought Shawn Michaels was going to win, I, <laughs> I, I wept. Uh, but yeah, it's they spent so much money on between live events and action figures. I don't know how they ever put up with it. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 a sickness when you're that when you're a kid. It's a terrible sickness. Yeah, but it just hooks you. But so you got hooked and you said i'm actually gonna go do this oh yeah 100%. Uh, and had you ever did, did you have any idea what went into training to become a wrestler at that yeah point or? yeah i had i had read all the autobiographies because they were all starting to come out at that point in time oh yeah you know, foley had written his and then you know then it was like a, a ton of them came out after that so i just i read every single one i, was, I wanted to be as well prepared as i could because i knew this is what i was going to do so you knew exactly what path you were going to take but your friend putting up that poster was sort of the trigger it said oh if he can do this yeah i can do it and you know the internet was big at that point but it wasn't nearly what it is today with social media and everything so it was it was very hard to still come across some of these places to sign up to be a wrestler and so your friend took like did he say i'll take you to the gym or how did that yeah he took me down there this was after you know after i was told no by my parents eventually they caved in but he took me down there i got signed up and that was it so you're you're a big guy like how how tall and like what how tall and what's your weight i'm um, six two three fifteen yeah i mean you could take me out without, without <laughs> much effort. were you like were you a big guy then too uh yes and no i was big i guess for my age but i was also the one of the youngest in my class so the guys that had hit puberty before me had gotten their growth spurts i didn't really get mine till after high school oh really yeah so you were basically were you like chum in the water there like, were you being like no not necessarily yeah. I, was, I still had some size once i started lifting weights and stuff like that then it was i started catching up like growth wise but so you started training with a bunch of bigger guys essentially and getting ready to no because you know, a lot of independent guys there's there's a lot of guys that just come in off the street and they want to do this but they they don't realize what goes into it and so you had that advantage yeah and i was there all the time i I made sure whatever job I had, I could go to the gym, the, to the wrestling school four days a week and train and do what I wanted to do. And the jobs that didn't allow me to do that, I would just quit and then find another terrible job to do while I chased my wrestling dream. And did you, what for you was dream was like, get to WWE? What was it? Yeah, absolutely. Main yeah. event WrestleMania. That was it. Yeah. That was what you envisioned. And so eventually you did. You got to, NX, you got to NXT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there for almost three years. Cool. So how did that, how did you, how'd that come about? I had seen every, you know, when, when WWE comes to town, they book extra talent, which is a lot of the local wrestlers they want to take a look at and things of that nature. And those guys are the guys you see, you know, during the security stuff and they do pull aparts and stuff like that. What's a pull apart? Like uh, two guys are fighting and security runs in and grabs each guy and pulls them apart. <laughs> okay. So they will book those guys. And I had seen guys that I was on shows with. They were doing that for years and years and years, but I kind of looked at it a little differently than they did. They thought it was just a chance to be in front of them constantly. And to me it was, yeah, but if you become the security guard, how many times then people are just going to see you as, Oh, that's the extra talent that gets booked every time we're in the area. So I took a different approach and said, I'm going to wait till I'm ready and can actually feel confident enough to get looked at that I you know, can feel like I'm in a position to get a job. So I had reached out um, to Bill DeMott, who was the head trainer of NXT at the time. And he had just taken over from Dr. Tom Pritchard. And I said, I had met him on some indie shows and we were kind of familiar with each other. And I said, how do I go about getting booked? And he put me in touch with somebody and I got booked. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. It was, you know, William Regal pulled me aside 
right after I did like my little tryout match before SmackDown opened the doors and said, you know, make sure you get booked next month when we're in the area. You know, I want to bring you back. So I said, okay, cool. I called, I got booked again. And then within a matter of hours of being in the building, he chased me down and told me he lined me up a tryout for February where I would go to Tampa at, at their facility at the time, which was uh, FCW and go and try out there. And so you kind of picked your shot. Essentially, you said, I'm yeah. not going to go before I'm too. Re- uh, I'm, I'm not going to try this before I'm ready. I'm right. going to make sure I'm uh, like a developed talent. Well, you get very few chances to make a first impression. Yeah. And that was always the way I looked at it. Where had you been wrestling before then? Uh, just independence, wherever I could get booked yeah. all over the Northeast and trying to just get my name out. Did you sort of have a character at that point or I had a ton of different characters. It yeah. was, yeah, I just, cause I figured no matter what I do when I get signed by WWE, they're going to change it anyway. Interesting. So, they, they don't port over what you came up with. They, they give you a new identity now a little bit. They do, but before like at that point in time, they didn't, it wasn't anything. They did nothing of the sort. It was, you go down to developmental. You train for a while and then you come up with something and then they decide if they want to use it or they have something in mind for you and then they give it to you and you make it work or you don't. What are some of the characters that you'd come up with? Uh, I was a fitness guru at first, which was funny because then at the tail end of my NXT run, I started doing the same kind of thing. Um, (laughs) At one point, I was a giant baby. A giant baby? Yeah, like cartoon, like cigar hanging out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Just a big infant yeah large infant how did that go over with the crowd oh it was great yeah yeah it was a lot of fun did you win often when you were the giant baby well no i had to lose so i could throw a temper tantrum (laughs) that's a a really good gimmick (laughs) how did you wait so how did you like develop a character like how did you it was just trying stuff and half the time it's joking around with the guys in the back and they're just like oh my god that'd be great yeah well yeah it would so i'm gonna go do it and it's gonna be funny yeah i guess it's pretty when you're just kind of doing the independence it's fairly low stakes each time you're not gonna get locked into a character or something. right yeah. yeah so you can kind of fuck around and again too social media hadn't developed the way that it has now so you had a lot more freedom to try different things out whereas now you do something that's out there and then people are like wait this isn't what i saw last week like what the hell is this guy doing you're once you're the giant baby that's it you're the giant baby yeah. forever yeah NXT is the development league for WWE. What's it like wrestling there? You're, you're all sort of with a group of people who are trying to make it up yeah. to sort of the, the big show, right? Mm-hmm. Like Raw and SmackDown. Uh, NXT was awesome. It was the best time of my life. It was, you had a bunch of people with the same goal in mind, working together to make a great show. And the brand was starting to really take off at that point. We were getting a lot of buzz and it just exploded. We had no idea what we were in for. So it was really, really cool. Were you part of, were you one of the early people in, in not the earliest. Well, and what year was this around? 2013. Okay. Was, uh, the year that the performance center opened in Orlando and that's where they shipped everybody. And that became like the basis of NXT. And then full sale was right down the street, uh, full sale university where we filmed our TV. And you became bull Dempsey at that point. Correct. So what was bull Dempsey's shtick? I was a throwback ass kicking barrel chested, in your face, I'm going to kill you, and there's nothing you can do about it, kind of guy. Uh, that's interesting. That's yeah. where, so. My grandfather was a professional wrestler way back in the day, and he was a he was he was a journeyman boxer who got his ass kicked by Joe Joe Lewis a few times. Awesome. And uh, eventually, well, went to jail for a bit, came out, went into the army, ended up as a wrestler, as a barrel chested <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, we still have, like his poster up. He's like making the meanest face he can. But, <laughs> so that that's cool. So you were kind of a, a wrestling classic. Were you a good guy, a bad guy? I was bad guy but there's people that liked me yeah so it was just kind of like an in-between kind of thing so you get a lot of cheers when you were kicking the guy's ass or? uh it depends because there was one time where i beat up somebody that was supposed to be a good guy but the crowd was really turning on and they kind of 
thanked me for it. So it didn't really work out the way we wanted it to. So. <laughs> and what, so what was eventually you got into this fitness guru thing though? Mm-hmm. Is that, what was that exactly? Uh, it was just something we did because they felt, you know, WWE felt we needed to spice something up and do something different with me. Okay. And I agreed. So uh, we did this bit where I wrestled Tyler Breeze and he chased me around the ring and I got winded and got a cramp and then he rolled me up and beat me. You got winded and you became a fitness guru? Well, I had to, you know, I got a cramp. I lost the match and then my job was threatened by William Regal, who was the general manager at the time of NXT. And he said, you know, if you don't get in shape, we can't have you here. So I had to, we did a bunch of, a uh, bunch of vignettes where I was getting in shape and my own sort of way. Was it like so, Rocky, like punching a? It was like a parody of Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So you were? Was your job ever actually threatened because you were out of shape, or was that no, totally no, no. fantasy? Yeah, no, absolute fantasy. Okay. Yeah, because you know, for one of the bigger people there, I really there was a hard time really getting me actually blown up and winded. I've seen a picture of you. You had a you had a leotard that said "bullfit," right? Right. Was that like your slogan for yeah. getting in shape? Mm-hmm. Was that? supposed to rhyme with bullshit yes or was it- <laughs> yeah it was all play on words that's great and so how did and so how did that kind of wrap up did it, like was that- i just wrapped up abruptly there was no yeah it was weird it was we did uh the first ever nxt uk tour and i wrestled ty dillinger i think i'm like six or uh, six of the seven nights or five of the six nights something like that and we got great reactions and people still tweet me about those matches today which is cool we did that and then a couple months later they had just come to the decision to release me and that was that was it did they give you a reason not really they just you know first it was you know the character is not getting the reaction we thought it would and i kind of stood my ground and said well you guys heard the reactions in the uk so i don't know what you're talking about and then it was just a quick back and forth of look the decision was made so i think it was just more of a budgetary thing but they felt the need to give me a reason because i was a good soldier i did everything asked to me you know i was model employee so there was no ill will it was you know doors always open and don't be a stranger and whatever we can do to help you keep your name out there, let us know. So it was, it was very amicable split. And that's just sort of the business. Like do people ever go back to WWE all the time? Terry Taylor was one of my coaches down there. He had wrestled for years and he was head of talent uh, for TNA. He was, he wrote TV for WCW. He was uh, agent for WWF at the time. And then later on now a coach at NXT. And he told me, you know, oh, you got a bunch of catching up to do to me. Cause I think he'd been fired from that company, maybe like six or seven times. So he found it. He still found his way back. So, so. it's a revolving door. So yeah, absolutely. You're in, you're out. Is it kind of like, you're just like part of it. Once you're part of the family, unless you really fuck up badly, you're always part of the family. Yeah, I mean, unless, you know, unless, like you said, unless you screw up, unless you do something stupid, then yeah, you're always going to have an do- open door. If you do good business, then there's no reason for there to be ill will. Because I think some people think about wrestling sort of as like major leagues, minor leagues, and you go, you know, it's it's pretty hard in baseball to go from AAA to, to the majors and back. Well, I guess people, they do make that back and forth sometimes. Sure. But now a lot of the AAA guys, so yeah. to speak, are making just as much money, if not more, outside of WWE. Oh, really? So it's, you know, the independent scene's exploding right now. Huh. So it's a good time to be just in the wrestling industry in general. So the, the big show isn't actually always the most lucrative thing you can be Well, doing. I mean, you have the most opportunity there to make the most money. Then that's never going to change. They're the biggest conglomerate in the world as far as wrestling goes, as far as sports entertainment and stuff like that. So there's never going to be a, a competing with that, you know, head on. But... Um, and I shouldn't say never, but, you know, unless like another Ted Turner comes along with that kind of money. So, but, you know, New Japan's doing great business right now. 
you know, there's still Ring of Honor, there's Impact Wrestling, and even there's, you know, mom and pop independents that, you know, you can still make a living on. Who do you wrestle with now? Like, is it is it lots of... I'm an independent people? contractor, so I'm all over the place. So people just call you and say, we got a show coming up and we want you to come part, be part of it? Yeah. And, you know, when you're first out of WWE, you're working for everybody because you have that buzz. So now it's more of, you know, I've been smart with my with my earnings and stuff like that, and I can now pick and choose where I work. So I spend a lot of time here at NYWC. Um, I concentrate a lot of my time at House of Hardcore, which is Tommy Dreamer's promotion, and places like ICW in Scotland, stuff like that, where I feel that they have a value and I bring a value to them. So it's a very good working relationship. And then if there's stuff you know that my friends are doing and stuff like that, there's Outlaw Wrestling in Brooklyn that I've taken kind of like a backstage role with, with as far as you know, lining up deals with them with other companies or bringing in talent and helping out kind of backstage in that aspect besides wrestling. So on top of having, you know, being the head trainer here at MYWC. So there's just a bunch of stuff that, you know, that I can do because I made it a point in NXT to learn every facet of the industry. You know, if I wasn't booked on a TV taping, I'd go up and watch the show with the directors and see what they thought and how they cut cameras and what they were looking for when they were shooting stuff. Or I'd talk to the camera guys and figure out when I was doing stuff, how we could we shoot it best? You know, stuff like that where, you know, I'd watch Michael Cole produce the commentators down there and the, and the announcers and learn that aspect. I made sure I, I left no stone unturned as far as learning every facet of the industry when I was there and taking full advantage of the, of the opportunity. And was the idea that that made you a better wrestler, better businessman? Was it was the idea that you would maybe start your own thing sometime? Or play well, I mean, like a it, it's just role or? you have the opportunity when you're there. And on top of that, you're getting paid to be there. So why wouldn't you learn every facet of it? Because, you know, your body has an expiration date when it comes to being in the ring. So if it comes to the point where I can't physically do this anymore, then I know I can bring something to the table in every facet that's there, whether it's production or producing talent or coaching talent or writing TV or doing, you know, I know I can do any job there. So it's just making yourself more of a valuable asset on top of that being kind of homegrown from that system. Would you say it's easier now to make a living outside of the WWE than it used to be? Maybe when, if you're talking like the last 10, 15 years, yeah. Or even, you know, before that, but back in the eighties and stuff, there was a territory system, you know, so there were still places to go to earn a full-time living. Then that kind of dried up. And now there's just been this resurgence of independent wrestling where you can go make a living elsewhere. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I want to talk a little bit about how you actually, actually wrestle. Okay. How you do the job. When do you start planning a match? Depends. Depends who I'm in there with. If I'm in there with a younger guy, I know he's going to be nervous and he's going to forget a lot of stuff, so I won't plan a lot of stuff with him. If there's a guy that I'm comfortable with and I know we're going to have, we have the potential to have a good match, then there's stuff that I'll plan. But you can never know, you, you can't go in there knowing how a crowd's going to react. You know, so if you go plan everything out, point A to point Z, and they're not buying it by the time you get to point C or D, then you're just going to keep going down this road and they're not into it. So what do you do? So you have to feel out as you go. Sure. Absolutely. How often do you actually know how the match is going to end? Well, I think of anything, that's the one thing that I will know going in. So that's that, that's the one given. Everything else, the choreography, how you beat the other guy uh, into yeah. submission or how he beats you into submission. 
you don't know. No. And you have to signal that to one another as you go through. Or... Yeah. So let's let's take the younger guy you're working mm-hmm. with. You you get into the ring with him and you start doing, you know, you start going at each other. How are you telling him what to do next? How are you signaling? Well, I can talk to him. I can do it by feel. I can put him where I need him to be. There's just ways I can control him. But rest, everybody thinks that wrestling has this sort of acting to it. And it's not. It's reacting. And it's being in the moment. You know, if and if you're not in the moment to feel that, then your reactions are just going to be either non-existent or forced. And the crowd can tell the difference. You know, if, if you have a young guy who's nervous to begin with and he has to remember all this stuff that you give him, he's not going to, I promise you. That's interesting because I would have almost assumed the opposite. That if you had someone who was kind of inexperienced, they would need to know, okay, this is how it's going to go ahead of time. Yeah, well, you know, let's say, you know, it was, we switch gears and, you know, your first day on the job having a podcast and I put down two microphone stands, give you the recording device and all that and just go, okay, go. I think I might be better off. <laughs> I, guess. I think, yeah, okay. So as opposed to if I had to remember every single question I'm going to ask you or, yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. if, or if I give you, you know, hey, you need to ask this question, 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 this question. I could fuck up the choreography. Sure. Yeah. And then that's how someone, get, I guess that's how someone gets heard or something. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you've got someone who's more experienced, you can actually kind of plan out the whole, the whole thing sure. piece by piece. Yeah, there's more trust involved. Do you, so are there like specific moves you'll say, okay, at this point in the match, I want to like pull, I want it's, you to do It this, really just or... depends. It depends on what kind of story we're trying to tell. Everything's about emotion and storytelling and getting a crowd to emotionally invest in what you're doing. So the moves don't matter. The moves don't matter. No. What matters? Emotion and feeling. Yeah, but how do you, how do you call that? How do you, you get have that to con- out of You have crowd? to connect with people. You know, that's just the difference of being in the undercard or or not on the card in some cases than being in the main event. I'm trying I'm trying to picture what you're thinking when you're in the ring. So you're hearing look the crowd is kind of sounds bored. Mm-hmm. And what do you like what what what, well, no, what it's, not, you, it's there's so many different things that go into it. It's not sounding bored or it's just knowing it, it, it's something you can't explain. It's just experience just brings you to that point where you know what you need to do next or what they're biting on and what they're not. It's very hard to put in the words because it's it's very much a feeling more than, you know, I can I can teach an animal how to do the moves. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can probably have a chimp from a zoo in here and teach him how to lock up and how to grab a headlock. You know, almost guaranteed I can teach him that. But I can't teach him emotion and how to make people feel what he's doing and make them feel a certain way about something. Isn't that just partly charisma? Like just natural, your ability to... Yeah, I, th- I think it's a lot of things. I think, but it's... It's just one of those things where not everybody can connect with the crowd. So that's the biggest key. And you have to figure out how to connect with the crowd while also like driving your elbow into another well, person. Well, sure. I mean, look, Shawn Michaels, you thought you cried thinking Shawn Michaels was going to win at WrestleMania 10, right? Yeah, so, I know. Absolutely bald. So yeah. he made you feel a certain way. Yeah, no, I really hated that guy at that moment. You know, but I, you know, was, was it any move that they did that made you cry? No, it was the thought of him winning, you know, so he drew an emotion out of you. A lot of that's kind of the character and the that you're developing though that's not just i mean that that part of that comes like with the well it's the full it's the full package it's everything that you put out there it's but it's all based around human psychology and you date back to the carnival days you know wrestling or con men basically that's what that's what the business was that was the basis of the business al snow always tells a story and it's I, i love it because it's not used anymore but you know wrestling fans wrestlers used to call wrestling fans marks and it was like this derogatory thing. And it's not really like a thing anymore. It's like this outdated terminology, but they got it from the carnivals. So the carnival, the ticket takers were always like in this booth that was higher up than the people that were coming to buy the ticket. So they'd have to reach up with their money. So the person looking down could see in their pocketbooks or their wallets and see how much money they had. 
And if they had a lot of money, they would signal to somebody who would walk by and accidentally bump into them. And they would have like a piece of chalk and they would mark the back of their jackets. That's where the term mark came from. Yeah. So they would walk through the carnivals and the guys that were, you know, running the games and stuff and the rides, you're trying to get people to come spend money. But if you're wasting your time on somebody that has no money, then the people with a full pocket, a full wallet of cash, they walk by and you miss them. So they would just sit there. And then once they saw somebody that was marked, they would turn it on. Hey, step right up. Come play the game. Blah, 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 blah. And then you'd have, you know, eventually you take all their money. And that was where wrestlers saw, originally saw their fans as because they were tricking them into thinking it was real. Yeah. Or... Well, yeah, the wrestlers were wrestling in carnivals and they were taking, taking on any comers. So, you know, you get some local guy that thought he was tough. So you had to know what you were doing, be able to handle yourself. And they would basically just take action on, you know, if the local guy was going to win. That's a really cool bit of history. I want to come back to the, how you actually orchestrate all this because, you know, I was watching a video of you wrestling the other day where you were literally driving a barbed wire covered bat <laughs> into another man's face. <laughs> like, I mean, for, for listeners, this looked like like Nagan from uh, Walking Dead. Was that the inspiration? Where the, no, that I mean, bat? those have been around forever. Um, oh, they have I mean, been? just between the Jap- barbed wire bat. Well, Japanese deathmatch wrestling, and then Mick Foley kind of brought it to the United States. And it's not something I normally do. Like, I won't, you know, there's some stuff that it's controlled chaos. Um, I don't do a lot of like those hardcore matches and stuff. This was kind of like it fit the mold of what they wanted at this beer festival that we were wrestling at. And there's certain stuff I'll do and not do in those situations. But, it, you know, all the stuff that we did was controlled chaos. Basically. What, what's the line you draw for what you won't do? Because obviously you you took that bat to the stomach at one point. So Yeah, was... but I also had a shirt and a singlet on. And, you know, there's certain things that mm. protect me from not getting pierced by barbed wire that I don't know where it's been. You know, there's. Yeah. What's your line? Well, I took the barbed wire to the stomach, but did I do anything else with it? Not that I recall. Yeah. 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 You weren't bleeding. The other no. guy did. So how do you how do you arrange that ahead of time that the guy, do you kind of feel out, hey? I'll just I'm, tell people. I don't have any problem, you know, being that guy and be like, look, I'm not doing this, this, or this. But, you know, I'll a lot of my stuff that I'll do in those situations, it's low impact. It makes a lot of noise. So everybody just goes, ooh, ah, wow. Are there, because I feel like a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about wrestling kind of going this more hardcore direction. Yeah, it's certain uh, places, yeah. So it, a lot of people have to have these conversations about how extreme are you willing to go. Well, yeah, and a lot of the deathmatch guys, they're up for really anything for the most part. I mean, they have their kind of do's and don'ts that they're still, there's certain things maybe they had a bad experience with and they got hurt. And I, I don't really condone it. A lot of my good friends in wrestling are deathmatch wrestlers, and I see what they go through on a daily basis dealing with the after effects of that stuff. So, you know, there's certain things like I won't take any headshots, stuff like that. Very concussion weary. And as much as that comes from just common sense, we also had a lot of that education in WWE. You know, Chris Nowinski, he was a Harvard graduate. He wrestled for WWE for a while. He runs the Concussion Institute in, um, I think it's up in Boston. And he come, he would come down, you know, once every a couple times a year and go through the risk of concussions and CTE and all that kind of stuff. And he was one of the ones at the forefront of bringing all that stuff to light. So wrestling yeah. was more progressive about this than like football at that time no football had done it first oh they had already done Um, it okay but wwe was still kind of ahead of it as far as like okay no no more headshots you know be very careful with certain things and they were progressive about it in that sense but Mm -hmm. as far as actually educating the guys they really started kicking that into gear the last few years and 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 it's good that they did you know And, and they knew they had to and i'll always say this their their medical coverage is top notch you know you get hurt in that ring you have nothing to worry about they take care of you better than anybody it's awesome someone's getting their ass kicked uh, so when you're 
in one of those matches, are you trying to communicate as you go? Like, or is it just, you kind of have the ground rules ahead of time and, or, and no, I mean, I'm always communicating with guys. Yeah. It's just one of those things where as it goes, you know, you just make sure that the other person you're with doesn't get too carried away. And if they do just roll out of the ring and get out of there, <laughs> you know, just no, not doing it. Have you ever done that? Have you just let, have you stopped a match essentially? Or, no, cause or I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I like to think at least and I'm well-respected, you know, in locker rooms I go into and guys are always very, very cool with, Hey, what do you want to do? Or what are you cool with? And I don't know. There used to be a lot, there was a lot more dickheads when I broke in than there are now. So, I mean, now everybody's for the most part is pretty cool. There's very few assholes around anymore. So is that because you're not a person to whom people are comfortable being an asshole now? Or do you think it's because um, actually people, wrestlers have gotten nicer? No, every, everybody's just kind of realized like you're not going to succeed being that kind of person. You know, in WWE, it's a very big thing. You, you know, they won't take people that aren't good people. I can look at everybody on that roster. And I know why they're there. They're good people. They're talented. They're hardworking. There's not, you, there's not anything else really you need, is there? I guess to some extent you have to be a good corporate citizen too to work sure, for 100%. something like that. Yeah. Because they're this huge organization. Yep. <laughs> there's currently a fly <laughs> who has just sort of decided to really? make his... <laughs> Yeah, make his home on my shirt. Close that, close that window to yeah. keep the noise down. And yeah. then he's, this guy got trapped in here. Yeah, he's just chilling on me. Right. It's interesting to me that you said the moves don't really matter. Are there any that you really enjoy, or are they all just sort of tools? They're all there. Yeah, everything's just, yeah, everything's a prop. Everything yeah. is a tool to get to help you tell your story. There's no sort of like slam or like flying headbutt type thing. I mean, that was your, that was your finisher one yeah point. don't remind me <laughs> <laughs> yeah talk about concussion right like a flying headbutt how do you avoid getting hurt doing that uh you just figure out how to do it safely and minimize the impact okay explain that to me how does one go about doing a flying headbutt safely uh a 300 pound guy just flying protect yourself and don't hit your head <laughs> so what do you what are you hitting him with if or the other guy with if there's contact but there's not contact that's going to rattle your brains it's just angle your head the right way i guess i don't know how to explain it like it's like i said stuff with the boots it's, it's very hard to explain like it's a dance step yeah in a sense i'm asking you to describe like every move of the merengue or something <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really capture it uh one to the right to the left yeah, i mean no no move is fun at the end of the day we're doing something our body isn't supposed to be naturally doing we're not supposed to fall down you know and every time we hit the mat they did somebody did a test on it i guess and it became like the the measuring stick i guess was Every time you hit the mat, it's like being in a 30 mile an hour car crash. So we're not meant to be doing this. So when people come into the school, like we're teaching them to do something their body's not naturally supposed to do. So it's, it's a rough business. It's a hard business, but there's no feeling like it when you're out there and you have a crowd that's lively and you're giving them what they want. How many times a month do you wrestle? It depends, but you know, normally every weekend, twice a weekend, three times a weekend. It depends. I've done three shows in one day before just because it, it lined up that the distances were, were close enough to where I could make all three. It really, it just depends. But I would say on average, two or three times a week. What hurts when you wake up um, most days? Besides everything? No, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate, you know, knock on wood, but no major injuries or anything up to this point, no surgeries. And for somebody that's 30 years old and 13 years into this, I think that's pretty, pretty good. I say I'm not even in that good shape. <laughs> and I go... You know, my big thing is I go for a five-mile jog once in a while. <laughs> I'm envious, man. So you're a trainer as well, which goes with the fitness guru. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get into that part? Uh, Tony Nice, who's now with WWE, was the head trainer here um, at NYWC. And then when I had gotten released, he was in the process of getting signed. So he was stepping out, and the position opened up. And I've always considered this place one of my homes. So I stepped in and it was just an easy transition. So that way there wasn't this search for who's going to take care of the kids, who's going to train them. It was, well, he's going there. I'm fresh out of the system. It was a perfect storm almost. 
And who are you training for the most part? How old are the people who come in here? Uh, we've had people as young as 16 and as old as, you know, mid thirties, early forties that just want to try it. It was their dream and they don't want to not try it. There's been people that come in that are older and they just look, I just want to have one match and say that I did it. So they will train you, you know, I mean, as long as you're in, you know, within the confines of certain things, you know, if you can't really do it and you're going to hurt somebody, then I'm not going to take the risk of letting you go out there and have a match just because you want to do it. I'm not just going to just, I'm not just going to take your money and yeah, sure. No problem. Come on in. And then you go out there and hurt somebody who maybe does have a future doing this. That's not fair to either person. How do you tell if someone's a health hazard for everyone? For someone you else can just tell if they gas out easy, if, if they're doing stuff unsafely and there's no, if they're uncoachable and they're not picking up, you know, what I'm putting down, then, Hey, look, maybe this isn't for you, but if you want to be a referee, if you want to be a ring announcer, if you want to help out behind the scenes, there's always a spot. So it's good because you can also, people can find their path and their way and still be a part of this, just maybe not in the in-ring aspect. So they can still kind of live out their dream. It's just maybe with the in-ring stuff, they're living more vicariously through the other guys and girls. What is the first thing you teach someone who wants to become a wrestler? Uh, well, the f- first few months, at the very least, depending on people's attitudes, they're going to learn how to lock up and grab headlocks and stuff on the floor. But they're not going to step foot in the ring for a while because they're going to learn to respect it and realize that you know it is an honor to be in that ring. And it is something that you don't just get to do. There's... There's too many places out there now, too, that will just let you get in the ring because you paid them. And that doesn't teach a respect for the sport that people should have. And then people become entitled and they don't have respect for it. So they don't treat it with respect. And I'm not about that. You know, I'm very old school in that sense of you're going to respect this. And no matter how far you go or how far you want to go, every time that you step foot in the ring, you're going to realize that it's, it's your honor to be in that ring. And this business owes you nothing. It also sounds like if you don't take it seriously, you're as likely to hurt the other guy. Sure. As you are to hurt yourself. Yeah. hundred percent. So you're doing that out of concern for your other students too. Yeah, that definitely. That's, that's definitely part of it. And the biggest, the biggest thing is, you know, you need to, you need to respect this industry and, and what we do. Otherwise, you know, I can't trust you to go out there and do what needs to be done business wise. I see some of the guys training right now are their kids. So like, you know, they're like teenagers or twenties, you know, how many of them who show up have any idea of what they're getting into? I imagine most aren't, you know, as well read or, or as, as you were when you started. Most aren't, but we've had a couple, um, that have really just taken to it like water. There's a kid out there right now, Jaden Vallow, who just bust his ass. And I mean, he's still 17. So he's got, you yeah, know. I saw him running outside while we were waiting. He was just like shirtless, like sweating yep. through. The, it's like, what, 120 million degrees <laughs> out right now? He was just, he was doing laps around the gym. Yeah, yeah. no, he's uh, he's got a work ethic that's unmatched. I mean, the only person that had the same was... Uh, Leo Blackstone, who we just said goodbye to, he is on his way to Los Angeles to start at the New Japan LA Dojo um, oh, cool. next week. So he's signed there for a one-year contract, which is awesome. And uh, Willow Nightingale, who is our Starlet's champion, she is working for Shimmer Wrestling and Shine Wrestling, which are the two biggest women's companies probably in the States right now. So um, we're doing good things and we're doing big things. And so, it's cool. So you do send people on to like, the real pros from, from this gym? Well, I mean, I would say that we're yeah. the real pros too, but yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry. So this comes back to the, so this comes back to the triple A, double A, you know, major league thing. So sure. where, where exactly do, does New York wrestling connection kind of fit in? And in, in well, this place has always been one of the top schools, you know, in the States, you know, it was Mikey Whipwreck school to begin with ECW triple crown champion and just amazing trainer. And through the years that's just evolved and you know this place has spit out 
uh, Mike Mondo from the Spirit Squad, Kurt Hawkins, Zach Ryder, Tony Nice. Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting people. I'm the worst. Apologies, Trent, uh, Trent Beretta, obviously, who's just killing it in New Japan right now. Myself and Matt Stryker weren't trained here, but we've always paid the respect to this place as if we were because they've always looked out for us. So to kind of be able to come back and, you know, and obviously I think I said Tony Nice, Tony Nice, uh, who just went, like I said, to WWE not too long ago. Uh, but myself and Stryker have always kind of paid this place that respect. So it's cool for me to be able to come give back to them now. How many people at New York Wrestling Connection. I should say this is the gym, but there's also like the, you know, the organiz I guess the promotion, right? Sure. How many of the people in promotion can actually wrestle full time? Like that's their job. I believe right now it's myself and Matt Stryker, but that's just because a lot of these guys are young and inexperienced, you know, so I'm always pushing them to go and get bookings and, and get their names out, but also learn because you really, it's only so much you can learn in the wrestling school up to a certain point. You have to go out there and make your name and, and learn, you know, in front of a crowd. Even with that, you're not, you're not going to make a full-time living doing that because nobody knows who you are yet. So nobody's going to really buy a ticket to see you. So you have to work that full-time job and do this on the side and it's, it's a tough struggle. You know, so I've been thinking about this in terms of kind of leagues for baseball. I keep bringing that up, but Maybe I, I've got the wrong concept in my head. Is it more sort of, is it more like rock music in a way? Is that a way oh, to think about? Yeah. Is it like you've got the smaller clubs, the bigger clubs, right. you've got the, you know, Live Nations and, yeah. and you might actually be a musician on like on contract with Live Nation if you're big enough. Right, exactly. Is that, it's somewhere, it feels like it's somewhere in between those it, two. It things. is. It's a, it's a, it's an even mix of, of those two, but it's very much a punk rock lifestyle. And you're, but you're lucky enough to just do that. So you've kind of right. got, you've gotten, that's, I mean, how many people would you say? in who wrestle period even make it to that point there's a very small amount so i'm fortunate in that aspect to be one of those people it's not like the one percent but it's no but i mean it's maybe like five or ten it's nowhere near what people think it is people immediately hear pro wrestling like, oh you must make a ton of money i mean i i earn a living and my bills are paid and i have the freedom to do what i want so yeah you know i'm maybe you know the only thing you know people have to work, realize is there's no retirement with this there's no pension there's no 401 there's no health insurance so you have to pay for that stuff. You have to put into it. You have to be smart with your money. You have to have a couple of side hustles and, and to make it work. You know, it's just one of those things where if you can manage how to do it and figure it out, then you're good. What are your fans like? Do you, I mean, do you have, are there Bull James fans? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, and like I said before, now we have the luxury of social media and you can be so proactive with interacting with people. And the cool thing about, I don't say the cool thing about losing my job, but the cool thing about getting released from WWE was those NXT fans are so passionate that they still reach out to me. You know, I've had people drive up from Florida to New York to see me wrestle on a show because they hadn't seen me in a year and they had kept in touch and bought my merch and they missed watching me perform. So they would, you know, they were in town for something or they had something else they could do while they were here and they would drive up from Florida and catch a show or, you know, if I was in a different part of Florida doing an independent show, they'd grab a car full and come down and, and watch, you know, and they, they still keep in touch. And it, it's cool. And then there's even the people that supported me before that. There's the people that maybe found out about me afterwards or like my NXT stuff, but didn't know how to get in touch with me. And now they have social media. So it's just a matter of keeping your name out there and, and interacting with people. And I, you kind of have to cultivate those fans, too. You sure. Respond yeah. to them and talk kind of interact i mean well that's and that's the punk rock aspect of it right so like a lot of musicians that i talk to run they'll they'll play a show but they're maybe breaking even on the door their money comes from their merch so you know the cool thing about independent shows is i'm out there hustling my shirts and stuff like that and i'm selling directly to my customer so people come up and want to say hi and hang out and buy a shirt awesome and even if they just want to come up and say hi that's cool too and i you know there's plenty of that too you're getting but you're getting a one-on-one -on -one 
with your fan base, which is really unheard of. Baseball players really don't get that. Football players, basketball players, they're almost protected from or hidden from the fans. So you know, aside from social media. Do you ever run into assholes? I mean, has anyone ever just said, hey, can I try to fight you or something like that? No, or- I wish they would, though, because there's plenty of people on social media that talk tough behind a keyboard. So I would love to yeah. see those people actually. And I probably wouldn't even fight them at that point. I'd probably shake their hands and go, hey, at least you had the balls to say it to my face. No, there's people are cool. Like I said, you get the one or two on social media that either hide behind a fake account or keyboard warriors. But those are people that have been given a voice because of a cell phone that normally wouldn't have that voice. So they feel like they're tough, but they're not. I like that you and I have at least one thing in common in terms of what we do, which is we both deal with trolls. All fucking day. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest misconception about pro wrestling, about being a pro wrestler? I think it always is going to go back to the, oh, it's fake or it's predetermined and all that. And that's fine. People can think that. But come down to the school, step in the ring, and we'll see. We'll see, what, we'll see how you feel afterwards. I'm not saying I'm going to beat somebody up for saying it's fake, but, you know, come take a couple bumps and fall down a little bit, see what happens, and then come back and talk to me the next day. Well, um, what so. you're saying is that the only part of it that seems like it's really predetermined is the end. Mm-hmm. Everything leading up to that is you feeling it out in the ring and yeah, trying to figure want, out Yeah, if you want, we'll go out there. I'll show you. It's, there's very little padding. Underneath that is wood and steel. That's it. There's no spring underneath. There's no magic trick. There's no rabbit in the hat. It's wood and steel. And it hits hard. But I guess what's, what's interesting to me is even as someone who was a, was a fan growing up, I guess I always had more of an idea that some of this stuff was, again, choreographed more. Right. That like, it, it, you know, at WWE, I know they have writers, for instance. Like, mm-hmm. But I guess they're talk, they're writing the plot line. And right. Stuff. You're, it's still left up to you guys to figure out what's happening to, yeah, inside that ring. They're, they're writing, you know, some of the promos and stuff like that and the backstage stuff that you see. But it comes down to the talent still having to go out there and tell the story with their bodies and their faces. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can have all the writers in the world. If you have guys that can't perform and tell the story, then it's all for nothing. You talked about how your body can't handle this forever. Right. What's the long term goal then? Like, what what do you think? Where do you see yourself? Well, I hate to ask like the high school guidance counselor question, but it's it's, it's interesting for a wrestler. I, um, Terry Funk is one of my idols, and he is, I believe, in his 70s and up until recently kind of just stopped taking bookings and he's also crazy and amazing (laughs) in every way and i feel like uh he still has one or two left in him so i feel like you never know where he's gonna pop up he'll just show up in japan one day and wrestle a match and you'll be like oh okay cool funk's back (laughs) and then there's also the part of me it's like well that's not very smart to think that way because you can't be 70 and beating the hell out of yourself but he does it and he's my idol so maybe i'm dumb enough to follow that path but I mean, as as long as I can physically do this, I will do this because it's what I love, whether it's for WWE or somewhere else. But if there's a ring and I'm capable of doing it and I'm available for that date and they want me there, I will be there. All right, man. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for letting us come over here, Jet. You've been listening to Working. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or ideas, please email us at workingatslate.com. In fact, I have an assignment for you guys. Since this is my first season as host, I'd love to hear your favorite and least favorite episodes so far, because feedback is always excellent, except, as Bull would say, when it's coming from Keyboard Warriors on Twitter. In the meantime, Working's producer is Jessamine Molly, who handled the thankless task of recording in a wrestling gym with a plum. And I'd like to give a special thank you to Justin D. Wright for our ad music. 
come back for another episode next week.